Salt Company, what is up? Uh, <laughs> the Frozen Chosen, y'all. The Frozen Chosen. Welcome. You guys made it in. Um, if I haven't met you yet, uh, my name is Joe Nealis. I'm the Salt Company director here. Um, how many of you guys had a lot of fun at conference this weekend? Let's go. Let's go. We have a few pictures on the screen. So if you missed it, here's a couple highlights. Um, Shelby dressed up in a bear costume, which was incredible, which was incredible. Uh, Mitch had a chance to crowd surf. Was that picture already on there? Oh, dang it. I missed it. Sorry, guys. Crap. Well, there he is. There he is. I don't know when that happened, but it happened because there's pictures. Um, but we had a ton of fun. <laughs> Shout out. Shout out. Okay. Um, anyway, so yeah, we had a lot of fun. Um, but on a serious note as well, man, God did an incredible work in a lot of students' hearts. There was one student here who actually placed their faith in Jesus this weekend. And so, uh, and a lot of people who are, um, Kayla's a loud whistler. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but yeah, um, God began to stir in a lot of students' hearts to begin considering going on a church plant. And so, man, we're excited about what God did there. Um, I want to start by asking a question. How many of you guys have ever had a really horrible haircut? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if it's right now. Right now? Okay, okay. Well, you know what? Now all of us are judging you, okay? Um, so when I was in eighth grade, so my sweet sister, um, uh, she went to cosmetology school. So in other words, she was learning how to cut hair for a living. And just as a disclaimer, Haley, if you're watching, I love you. Um, she does an incredible job with haircuts now. She's killing it. Um, but this was a long time ago. And so when I was in eighth grade, yeah, Haley was learning how to cut hair for the first time. And so basically what that means is that her little brothers are the guinea pigs. And so um, my parents leave. And at this point in time, I've got this like luscious, beautiful Justin Bieber hair. Anybody have like a Justin Bieber long hair stage? Raise your hand couple people here. So I had this beautiful, long locks of blonde hair. And um, my, it was my pride and joy, okay? And, uh, and so it's time to get my haircut. And my parents leave. And I'm like, hey, Haley, can you give me a haircut? She's like, yes. And so we do what you, of course, do when, you know, you don't go to an actual shop. We got uh, a stool and we put it into the middle of the kitchen. And she's like, all right, take a seat. I'm like, great. She says, hey, what do you want? And I'm like, probably on me. I probably wasn't very, very clear. But I was like, yeah, just make sure like it doesn't go above the eyebrows and like, oh, just like even it out, you know? And so she begins to cut my hair, you know, and she's combing it and spraying it and the whole nine yards and everything. And 15 minutes goes by and I'm like, she's spending a lot of time on the back of my head right now. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, that's not, that can't be right. Whatever, like I trust Haley and I don't want to like, you know, whatever. I don't want to make her feel bad. You know, I'm too nice to tell her if I get a bad haircut. And so then my brother comes out and he's like, oh, Haley, you're still cutting his hair? And I'm like, don't remind me. And he ends up walking behind me. And, uh, <laughs> and then I just hear, oh, and I'm like, yeah, I don't want to hear that, okay? And, um, and so she keeps cutting my hair. And again, I'm trying to assume the best. I'm like, okay, Joe, it's just hair. You know, I'm like crying basically. It's just hair, it's fine. And so, uh, but then I get out of the chair and the first thing I do is I check the back of my hair. And so I put my head back there. I put my hair, my hand, it starts with an H, I don't know. I put my hand back there and I'm like, oh my gosh, 
Do you guys know the Karen haircut? You know what I'm talking about? Like the like Bob, you know what I'm talking about? That's what she gave me, y'all. And um, it, was, it, was, it was a little bit like, so again, Haley, if you're watching, I love you so much. But she, she, it was like a bowl cut in the back. You know what I'm saying? But then it was like long right here over my ears. So it looked like I was wearing a helmet and I was too insecure to like get my hair cut short. I'm like, I'll look so ugly if I get my hair cut short, amen. Amen, a couple of people. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I was, I was really scared of that. And I remember going to church the next day and um, one guy, also I like tried to like, I didn't know what to do with my hair. I'm like, I, what is this? I'm gonna put, anybody know what LA looks is? It's like $2 gel, one person. Yeah, two people, great. Uh, and so I put it, you know, whatever. I'm like trying to style it and it's like crunchy and looks great, obviously. <clears throat> and I go to church and this guy, that I like kind of know, straight up was like, looks like you got your hair cut by a hacksaw. <laughs> really feel like I belong in this church. Thank you, thank you. And so, um, but man, I was, when you get a bad haircut, you're like super self-conscious. You're like, man, I, you're really caring about what other people are thinking about you. And so that was certainly me. And so for about like, a, I think two and a half, three months, I had that haircut and, you know, I had to wait for it to get long again and looked okay. But it was like two and a half, three months of like misery. Um, and I know that's a silly example, but I think I wouldn't be alone in saying that uh, I struggle with caring what people think. And I think that's a universal experience. I think that you care what people think too. I care what people think, and that's a problem for me. And the reality is that we desire other people to approve of us, to affirm us, and to appreciate us. And we hate when people do the opposite. We will do anything in our power to avoid any kind of rejection, right? Even if they haven't officially rejected us, we're like, ah, uh, they're intimidating, so I feel like they might reject me. And so you, you kind of stay away from those people. And you maybe may have not met them before, but you, you deal with this fear of, man, what if they reject me? And you see, the reality is that when we place our worth, when we find our worth in what people think of us, it's a little bit like a trap. And what I mean by that is we are lured in by the prize of affirmation, right? I love nothing more, like, I, I, I love it when I get an attaboy, from someone. I love it when it's like, I mean, I get off the stage and someone's like, man, Joe, that sermon really, like that really spoke to me. Or Joe, you did a good job with this. I love that. But the problem is, is that I cannot have affirmation and approval. I can't find my worth in that without also subjecting myself to the snap of rejection and the fear and the despair that that brings. Uh, there's a musician and he says it this way, and he says um, that if you live for people's approval, you will die from their rejection. And that's true. If you live for people's approval, you will die from their rejection. Studies have shown that being rejected and having a low self-esteem makes you twice as likely to be anxious and not four, not five, but six times more likely to have depressive symptoms. Now, I wanna be really clear. I don't preach as an expert. 
I battle this every day of my life. I want nothing more than for everybody in this room to like me. But I'm here to tell you that that's not the way of Jesus. I'm here to tell you that that's not where I wanna be. And by God's grace, he has taken me a long way. And man, I wanna show you what God has shown me in his word. And so I wanna invite you into a process. It's not gonna happen overnight if you're here and you think that if you just hear this sermon, by tomorrow you're gonna wake up and not worry about what people think of you. That's not gonna happen. That, that's, that's not how God has designed our relationship with Jesus to work. And so it's clear that the opinions of others affect us deeply. We care so deeply. But my question is, does it have to be this way? Does it have to be that you live your life, that you come to Salt Company, that you go to school, that you go to work, and all you're thinking about is, man, what do they think of me? And if that sounds too much like an exaggeration, what I wanna just propose is, man, the question is, does it have to be that you are frequently concerned with someone's opinion of you, with others' opinions of you? Does it have to be that way? Or is there a better way? So that's the question I wanna ask. And tonight, guys, we're gonna begin a brand new series called Lies We Believe. And the goal of this three-week series is to look at, the, we realize as a church that the culture has a lot of voices. And at Keystone and at Salt Company, we want God's voice to be the loudest voice, amen? We want God's voice to be the loudest voice. And so what we're gonna do is over the next three weeks is what I, I wanna look at three very common lies that we believe about ourselves that distort reality and what I wanna do is I wanna bring the clarity of the gospel of Jesus Christ to make us aware of what is really true. Lies kill us. And so what I wanna do tonight is I wanna look at the first lie of this series, the first lie, if you're taking notes, the first lie I wanna look at is that my worth is tied to what people think of me. My worth is tied to what people think of me. In other words, my worth is found it's determined by what people think of me. And so what I wanna do is I wanna expose this lie. And the only way that we can expose any lies is we have to have the truth of God's word. And so what I wanna do is I want you guys to open up your Bibles if you have them. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter four. That's where we're gonna be. Um, that's how we're going to expose this lie is to hear what God's word has to say about this subject. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter four because when we hear God's word, we, we hear God's voice and we wanna hear what he has to say about this topic. 1 Corinthians chapter four, and let me give you a little bit of context here. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. He loves the church of Corinth. He is tight with them. He knows them by name. And he catches wind that apparently what was happening in Corinth was there was a lot of division. There were a lot of problems going on. And so what he does throughout this letter is he addresses them one by one. And he goes through and he applies the gospel to every single one. It's a really remarkable thing. And at this point in time in the letter that we're gonna look at, is um, there were a bunch of different teachers. There was uh, Paul, Peter, Apollos. And what they did is, it's a little bit like what we do today. A bunch of Corinthians found their guy. They're like, Paul's our guy, we love him. And unfortunately that doesn't come without, yo, I would never follow Apollos. I would never follow Peter. I don't like the, and it wasn't because they were preaching heresy it was, they just didn't quite like them. And so what was happening is there was a lot of division amongst each other because they were like basically picking fights. They were picking teams. And so 
what's clear is that Paul certainly has fans, but he certainly has enemies too. This brings us to our first point. Point number one is the unusual response. I want us to pick up in verse one. I want to read the whole section here. First Corinthians chapter four, starting verse one, it says, a person should think of us in this way, as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. It is of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself for I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. It's the Lord who judges me. So don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the heart. And then praise will come to each one from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying nothing beyond what is written. The purpose is that none of you will be arrogant, favoring one person over another. For who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If in fact you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You have begun to reign as kings without us. And I wish you did reign so that we could also reign with you. For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place, like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. So again, point number one was the unusual response, and that's where I want to start. Paul knew the Corinthians really, really well. And you can just imagine that he probably knew their names. Probably as he was walking through Corinth, through Corinth he was like, Priscilla, it's been so long. How you doing? He's talking to other people. He knows them really, really well. And the fact is that whenever he would come to town, people would get excited that he was going to be teaching. Man, Paul's our guy. But like I said earlier, you can't really have that without someone else saying, well, we don't like that guy too much. And so there was a bunch of people, whether they were fans of Peter or Apollos, who were like, ah, we don't like, we don't like Paul too much. And they wanted to make it really, really clear and perhaps they were speaking to one another poorly about Paul and perhaps even to his face. And you see, while many of you guys don't preach, I think that we can all relate to the fact that you've been rejected before. In the same way that Paul is having to deal with, yeah, praise, that's great, but he's also being rejected, you can resonate with the fact that you've been rejected that you've had people in your life look at you and say, well, you're not really worthy of my time. I think we can resonate with that. And it's painful. It's painful when we deal with that. Why? It's because fundamentally we desire to be accepted by other people. We desire to be accepted by other people. When you walk into a room full of people you don't know, 
you're probably not thinking, man, I would really love to feel like an outsider tonight. I would love it if someone came up to me and told me, man, like, I shouldn't be here. You know, I'm not worth their time. You're probably not thinking that. If you're an introvert, you're probably like, get me the heck out of here. I don't wanna be here. Um, but you're probably asking the question subconsciously, will I be accepted here? Will I find my people here? And I think that a lot of you guys, when you came to Salt Company the first time, especially if you came alone, that was the question you were asking yourself. Will I be accepted here? All of us ask that question when we get into a room like that. And I, I don't know if you, did you guys ever have those friends who were like, man, I don't care what anybody thinks. I used to have friends like that. And I used to think, can you tell me what that's like? Like, what's that like? You really don't believe, like, tell me, teach me, teach me your ways, okay? Because I really do care. And, and then I read, uh, there's a pastor, his name's Tim Keller, and he says this, he said this in a sermon a few years ago. He essentially says, guys, most people are lying when they say they don't care what people think. How do we know that? Because as a society, we have a name for people who truly don't care what people think. You know what we call them? You guys are not ready for this. We call them sociopaths. People who are eventually capable of doing very dangerous things. I don't care who you are. All of us care to some degree what people think. And it seems to be part of our human nature, right? Uh, maybe you're in connection group or maybe whatever scenario you are in, you are with people and you find yourself not sharing thoughts or opinions simply because you're afraid of being rejected. You kind of withhold those things. Man, I don't know if I can really truly be myself around these people. I'm afraid of being rejected. And another great example that I think would get the temperature of the room of what we believe about other people or, or, or where we find our worth in is to ask the question, hey, Christian in the room, how are you doing with evangelism? I think that all of us can be convicted by that. I would say that most people in the room, including myself, are not where we want to be with evangelism. Why? Because I care, because you care what people think. So Paul has people clearly opposing him. How does he respond? Look with me again, uh, starting in verse one. A person should think of us in this way as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. Get this, verse three. It is of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. As Paul's response to rejection is, a lot, is, is very unlike how we would often respond. Guys, Paul's confidence is unscathed. He knows people don't like him. His confidence is unscathed, even despite harsh criticism. But how does that happen? How is he able to say with absolute truth, it is of little importance to me what you think of me? How is he able to do that? Because I think oftentimes in our culture, we, we think that the way that we can combat um, low self-esteem and rejection 
is to just think happy thoughts about ourselves, right? I'm strong, I am beautiful, I am amazing, right? And that's ridiculous, but I think that it's even more common for that when we feel low, when we have this low self-esteem, we fear this rejection, we look for affirmation in other people. I think that in order to be confident that the solution is for me to find affirmation from other people. So maybe you get rejected by someone or you feel rejected. Your first thing that you might end up doing is you, you, you might post something and you want someone to like it and to give you some level of affirmation. Or maybe you go to your friends and you hope that they tell you how awesome you are, right? I mean, uh, when I was in high school, um, full disclosure, I would literally delete posts off Facebook if they didn't get more than 11 likes. <laughs> like straight up shallow, y'all. Like I wanted people to like it. And I was like, oh, nine likes, like my own status, only at 10, oh, I need 11, you know? Just being ridiculous. And the problem is that Paul doesn't actually share that same idea. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them. So Paul is saying, I am a horrible sinner. I am the worst sinner in the universe. Yet he is able to maintain total confidence. How is that possible? He is still confident. And in fact, Paul was one of the most confident people I'm convinced to ever walk this earth. I mean, he was a maverick leader who started multiple churches, wrote multiple letters, was in jail, uh, preached the gospel to people that he knew would stone him and whip him and reject him. Paul was confident. You see, when he was fearful of rejection, his solution wasn't to think happy thoughts and positive thoughts about himself or to go to his friends to, hey, hey, tell me how great I am. No, he understood how much of a sinner he was. He was very much acquainted with the very things that we want to escape. I don't want to accept the fact that I'm a sinner. I don't want to accept the fact that I've made mistakes. Tell me how great I am. But Paul's different. And this confuses us, right? If we were aware of our sinfulness, we probably wouldn't be too confident, right? I'm scared to accept my sinfulness and my wrongdoing or, or my, the mistakes that I made and all of those things, but why? Why is that? It's because we judge ourselves. Look with me again at verse three. At the end of it, he says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. Paul is essentially saying, guys, I don't judge myself. I don't play that game anymore. Now that I know Jesus, I don't look at my sin and tie my identity to it. I'm not thinking I do bad, therefore I am bad. He says, I'm not playing that game anymore. I'm not going to judge myself. So Paul is aware of his sinfulness the ugly part of who he is. He doesn't deny it, he accepts it. And he goes 10,000 steps further than what we would usually want to. And he says, I am the worst of all sinners. Don't you want 
that same confidence that you can look at the parts of you that you don't like and yet with total confidence be able to say, it is of little importance what you think of me or even what I think of me. Don't you want that? Don't you wanna be the kind of person who's not going into a room thinking, man, are they going to accept me? Did I say something that maybe pushed them away? Don't you wanna be free of that? So the question is, how is Paul able to be rejected and even know how sinful he is and still be confident? What does Paul know that we don't? Point number two is this, the journey to freedom. The journey to freedom. If you've been to Anna and I's apartment, um, we have this like kind of like cute little indoor garden to spice up the old apartment, you know what I'm saying? And uh, <laughs> this past summer, we bought a fiddle leaf tree. Anybody know what a fiddle leaf is? All the rage these days, a couple girls do. Come on, let's go, fiddle leaves. Um, and so we bought it with the goal that eventually it's gonna grow and tower and be this beautiful fiddle leaf tree in our tiny little apartment. And I mean, I'll admit, like after the first few weeks, I'm like, is this thing gonna grow? When we're pouring water in it, I think that's what you do, pouring water and put it in the sun. Like, it's supposed to work this way, right? And the fact is that that's not how plants often work. They don't grow overnight to the degree, like they, they don't grow fully overnight. That's just not what happens. It takes time. And I think that's also true of our battle against finding our worth and value in what other people think. That transformation doesn't happen overnight. That transformation does not happen overnight. Over years of faithfulness, it begins, you begin to find yourself growing in freedom. It's a journey of slow, of a slow and steady growth, a growth towards more and more freedom from needing approval of other people. And Paul tells us how we can begin this process. Listen to Paul starting in verse three. It is of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself for I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. So for Paul, other people's opinions mean very little. His own opinion of himself meant very little. Only one person's opinion mattered to him. The one opinion, opinion above it all, God's opinion of him. You see, he cared what other people thought, but it wasn't ultimate for him. He was able to admit his faults and sins because he says, guys, that's not ultimately who I am. That's not who I am anymore. I know Jesus. I'm not defined by my sin and my mistakes. I can be aware of my sinfulness and yet be totally confident. Why? Because God's opinion was ultimate for him. Listen to him again. I wanna focus in on a, word, a couple words here. It is of little importance to me that I should be judged, right, so judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. Do you guys notice? He uses the word, you know, this kind of courtroom language. Judged, human court, right? What is he talking about? He's not in a courtroom. This, what? I think he's being metaphorical here. 
the reality is, uh, so Pastor, Pastor Tim Keller, he says this about this passage on that note of, 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 of this court language. He says, the problem with self-esteem, high or low, is that every single day you're in the courtroom on trial. In this trial, there is prosecution and there's defense. Everything you do, you give evidence for your defense and evidence for your prosecution. Some days you feel like you're winning the trial. Other days you feel like you're losing the trial. But Paul says, I've found the secret. The trial is over for me. It's gone. It's over. Why? Because the verdict is in. God has justified Paul. Tim Keller then says this. He says, only in the gospel of Jesus are we given the verdict before the performance. Only in the gospel of Jesus are we given the verdict before the performance. You know what he's saying? In most things in life, you have to earn your status. If you wanna be someone that people look up to, you gotta earn your reputation. If you want to get a good grade, you have to earn it. If you want to get a job, you have to earn it. But the gospel of Jesus is different. In the gospel, God gives you the verdict before you could even try to earn it. And the verdict is this, that by faith alone in Jesus, by faith alone in Jesus, not your works, you are declared a child of God, forever loved, that is what's been declared over you. That's what the verdict is. And it's in this verdict that Paul roots himself in it. He doesn't root himself in the opinions of other people. He says, it's of little importance to me. It's of small importance to me. What you think and what I think. He says, it matters everything what God thinks. You see, instead, he has rooted himself in the fact that he is declared loved by God forever. So the question is, can this be said of you? Are you rooting yourself in your identity as a child of God who is deeply loved? Are you rooting yourself in that? Because if you don't, you are rooting yourself in what other people will say about you, to you, and it's a trap. Where are you rooting yourself? So maybe you're here and you desire that same confidence that Paul has. Man, I wanna be able to not, I wanna be able to say with absolute truth that it is of little importance what you think of me and what I think of me. How do I get there? How do I root myself in God's love so much that I do not care what people think about me and I don't care what I think about me? How do I get there? I wanna give you guys a tool that I've used in my life. This is not the tool to get there, but I think this has been really helpful for me. So for you note takers, this is gonna be really helpful, but it's, I always ask myself three questions. Actually, I do this every other day, part of silence and solitude in my time with Jesus. I'll ask these three questions and I'll journal them out. The first question is this, what am I feeling? What am I feeling? It's just to be aware. And maybe, I, man, I feel nervous that I'm going to be rejected by this person. I feel nervous to go talk to this person. I feel nervous. That's a relatively quick one. And the second question that I ask is this, what is the lie beneath that feeling? This is where you're gonna spend the bulk of your time. What is the lie uh, beneath that feeling? 
What's the lie there? And you're gonna be spending a lot of time asking a lot of questions of your soul because you're trying to, you're, you're asking the Lord to expose the lies that you're believing in your heart as you're journaling. And you can begin to ask questions like, okay, I'm afraid of this happening. Okay, why does that matter to me? Uh, because I'm afraid that they're gonna think this about me. Okay, why does that matter? And you begin to ask yourself questions. And the lie that, I mean, we're, that we're dealing with right now is that your worth is found in what people think of you. And so that would be what you put there. The third question is this, most important one. What is the truth? What's the truth? This is the one way that you've exposed the lie, that's great, but you fumbled the ball at the goal line if you stop there. You must know what's true. And what I mean by that is what does God's word say? I'm believing that my worth and value is found in what people think of me, but what I know is true is that God has declared me righteous in Christ. That I am, I mean, for me, the passage that I've had to memorize is 1 Peter 2.9. If you're looking for a passage, 1 Peter 2.9 is a great one to, 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 to fight against this particular lie. It tells you who you are. You are a chosen race, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people chosen for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who has called you out of the darkness and into the light. Root yourself in God's love. That's not the only way you can do it, but it's a really, really helpful way to do it. And guys, this is the only, this is only part of, of fighting, placing your identity in what people say about you. Paul actually gives us a second part. We're not only called to root ourselves in, in God's love and in, in our identity as being uh, a child of God, he continues. You see, to become more and more free from the opinions of others, you not only root yourself in God's love, you also need to remember your sentness, not scentedness, all right? No, sentness, I'm making up a word, okay? You have to remember your sentness. So Paul continues, and he goes on to share that as an apostle, he's been horribly mistreated, horribly treated, excuse me. Listen to verse 11, he says this, up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor working with our own hands. And Paul is basically saying, guys, life has been really hard recently. And not only that, but people are roughly treating us. Maybe they're hurling insults. They're kind of kicking them while they're down. And look at how Paul responds to these people. He says this, picking up back in verse 12. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. You see, Paul knows that God's love defines him. He's rooted in God's love and he realizes that God's love does not just keep him to himself, but God's love compels him to love other people. It compels them outward. It's what rooting yourself in the love of God does. You see, that's why he's able to bless those who persecute him. That's why he's able to respond graciously to those who are gossiping and slandering his name because he's been changed by God's love and it compels him to obedience. So what does this mean for you? This means that not only do you need to root yourself in God's love, but you must remember your sentness. And what I mean by that is that God has not called you to be fearful of people, but what he's called you to is he has called you to, to go. He has sent you 
to go and love those people. The love of Christ would compel you to love the very people that you are scared of their rejection. Why? Because God drew near to you. In his son, Jesus, God sent his son, Jesus, knowing full well that we would at first reject him and that much of the world would reject him. He died for those who would reject them. He died for his enemies. See guys, the benefit of being others focused and caring well for other people, being sent and, and focusing on other people, it's stated well, there's a pastor, his name's Jared Mellinger. He's got a little book called Think Again. So good. If you're looking for a, bit, a book recommendation, it's called Think Again, Relief from the Burden of Introspection. Super long, just put Think Again, Jared Mellinger, super great. But he says this, the Lord teaches us to die to ourselves so that we might truly live. To enjoy people, it is essential to realize that people aren't thinking about you as much as you think they are. Let me read that again, y'all. To enjoy people, it is essential to realize that people aren't thinking about you as much as you think they are. Trust me, we're not thinking about you. We're too busy thinking about ourselves. Life becomes more enjoyable as we become smaller in it and as we learn to take an interest in other people. You know what he's saying? God has sent you out to not be focused on yourself. Man, will they, the question isn't, will they like me? Will they accept me? Instead, you are more concerned with how can I be a blessing to this person? How can I encourage this person? A verse that I've tried to memorize whenever I come to salt, if I get really anxious for some reason or fear of man or fear of people's rejection comes to mind, I remember Romans 12, 10, I believe, which says that I'm to outdo one another in showing honor. I'm, because oftentimes, right, like we think that we, we want them to honor us. Hey, accept me, affirm me. And if that's the life that I wanna live, I'm gonna live in a little shell and life is gonna suck but God is calling you out. You are to be rooted in God's love and you are sent to love and to honor other people. You see, in doing this, he draws you out of yourself and into the joy of loving him and loving other people. You see, you become the kind of person who's less concerned about what other people think of you and you're more concerned about how can I be a blessing and how can I care for that person? As you walk in obedience, God makes you the kind of person who can truly say, it is of little importance to me. What you think, it's of little importance to me what I think of myself. See, the journey to freedom from putting your worth in man's opinion is one that consists of one, rooting yourself in God's love, and number two, remembering your sentness. That is the journey to freedom. But this isn't the end. Paul actually continues. This brings us to our third point, the rejected one. Point number three, the rejected one. So Paul, he's told us, guys, I don't care much what you think. I don't care what I think because God has judged me. I've placed my faith in Jesus. And because of that, I am deeply loved. I'm declared loved. And then related to that, he says in verse five, look with me, verse five, he says, so don't judge anything prematurely, right? So including each other, don't be judging each other before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. Um, <clears throat> at my parents' house, uh, we have like an unfinished basement, you know, like the concrete and everything, concrete walls, everything. And um, 
And there's an area of the basement that like we don't go to, okay? Like it's kind of an unspoken, like you don't go there. And there's like, it's a little corner of like all of our like childhood toys and stuff like that. And when I go down there, I turn on the flashlight. And what I see is like all these cob cobwebs and these like dead bugs and like maybe a spider will crawl out and then go back in and it's a gross thing. And Paul is saying that something similar will happen to every single one of us. That no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, there will be a day when every single one of us will be held accountable to God. We will have to answer for every single thing that we've done. And just like that flashlight, God brings to light the things that were hidden in our lives. He exposes the intentions of our hearts, lays them out on the table before us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says that we will be repaid for all of our good and our evil deeds. How does that sit with you? Don't we sometimes think of like that judgment day as like a, not like a scale, right? I've got all my good deeds here and I really hope that my good outweighs my bad. And so I'm, you know, hopefully I end with, with a lot more good than with bad. But what you need to know is that that is not biblical. God's word does not say that. In fact, it says the very opposite. In Romans chapter three, verse 23, it says that all of us, that means me and that means you, that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There's another translation that says that all of us have fallen short. All of us have sinned and we have fallen short of the glorious standard of God is what the NLT says. We've all fallen short. We stand before God on judgment day, rejected because of our sinfulness. But there is one who is sent on your behalf. God, out of incredible love, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and be rejected by his father in heaven so that you could be accepted. If you wanna flip there, go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And in Matthew 27, Jesus is nailed to the cross and he cries these words out, Matthew 27. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's in verse 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, for you and I to be accepted, Jesus had to be rejected. Why? Because Jesus bore the very thing that would have caused God to reject us. What was that? It was our sin. God bore the very thing in his son Jesus that would have rejected us. Because on the, on the cross, he bore your sin and he paid the debt that you and I owe, satisfying the wrath of God and his rejection, raising to life three days later so that you and I can be accepted forever when we place our faith in the one who was rejected for you. You see, only in Jesus can it be true that on that day, on that day when we stand before God and he exposes all of our ugliness, instead of rejecting us, Jesus sweeps the pile of all of the, all of the ugliness, all of the sin, he sweeps it away and he says, listen, because I was rejected at the cross, 
you are accepted forever. He bore your sin. He was rejected. My God, would you, why have you forsaken me? So that you could be accepted. So how can you stand on that day when, when you realize that it doesn't even matter what anybody in this room thinks at the end of the day, there is a day on your calendar in your life where you will stand before God. How can you stand before him with confidence? How? It's possible only when you place your faith in the one who was rejected for you because on your own, you have absolutely no shot. Only in the one who is rejected for you. See guys, finding our worth in people's opinions is like a trap. We're lured in by the prize of affirmation. Man, I really want someone to tell me how great I did and how great I am. I want someone to compliment me. But as soon as we do that, we subject ourselves to the snap of rejection. That the moment I don't get that, I'm crushed. And we often think sometimes in our culture that in order to pick ourselves up, we have to think highly of ourselves. And Paul shows, that, shows us that that's actually not true. Jesus offers us a better way, a way of living that allows us to live freely in confidence, not because we're so great, but because he is so great. You would root yourself in his love. Remember your sentness. That you wouldn't walk into a room thinking, man, Will someone say something to me? Will I be accepted? But instead, you're gonna let the love of God compel you outward, be focused on other people. Maybe you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. And if that's true, what you need to know is that God's opinion of you at this moment is that you are rejected. The sin in your life has completely outweighed the good. Not my words, those are God's. But the Bible says that when you place your faith in the one who was rejected for you, who willingly died for you, though you were his enemy, and when you place your faith in him, you are accepted forever. Everything you've ever done, forgiven. Maybe you're here and you've been carrying a lot. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I don't know if God would ever love me. You need to realize that God sent his son to be rejected for you so that you could be accepted. It is only his opinion that matters. Would you place your faith in the one who was rejected for you? Let me pray for us. God, we desire to be people who know the gospel well. Jesus, I pray that you would root us, root us in our identity as children of God, that we would be rooted in your love, that we would confidently be able to say, man, it's of little importance to me what everyone thinks of me because I'm so satisfied in the fact that God loves me. Would you set us free, God, from the idol of, of approval and affirmation? Set us free. All of us have fallen short in this area. We all care too much what people think. And Jesus, your gospel gives us a way out. Your gospel shows us a better way that we were never created to live under the bondage of what people think. Jesus, you have called us out. You've called us to be sent to go out. 
that the love of God that we're rooting ourselves in would, would send us out to love other people. God, would you change our hearts that we would no longer be asking, man, I hope that these people accept me or will they accept me? But Jesus, I pray that we would so clearly and so joyfully say, man, how can I bless that person? How can I outdo them in showing honor? Jesus, change us. And I pray for that for anybody who has never placed their faith in you. I pray that they would place their faith in you tonight, knowing that you were rejected so that they could forever be accepted. Jesus, we love you. We wanna worship you tonight. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.